got a good crowd here today. We're going through Revelation. They're also going through Revelation through the main pulpit. And it's an interesting dynamic. I don't know a book of the Bible open to more interpretation than Revelation. And, and yet, it's so apparent what the full theme is of the book, which is the world is broken. We live in the broken world, but we've been redeemed by the Lord, and we, we are assured that in the end, we are on the winning side, and we, we have uh, uh, an eternity of, of blessed presence with the Lord, living with the Lord. So in the midst of that message, there are different ways to understand what the apocalypse, what the revelation says. And we, we um, I, I've been given... Uh, by our pastors, marvelous freedom to teach some things which may not always be totally in sync with some of, of what everybody else believes. I think even among the staff, you'll find some differences. So if you don't agree with where I'm coming from on some of the things as I share them, uh, that's fantastic. You may be right. I may be wrong. I love you anyway. Please love me anyway. And I'll at least try and give you some ideas of, of where I am. A couple of slides we used last week. We are talking about revelation. A revelation is an Americanized English word for the Greek word apocalypsis, which means an unlocking or a revealing. And so as we try to figure out how to unlock this, this book of revelation, it's a book of unusual visions. You've got the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We'll deal with that. Uh, next week, I think, which means Brent will deal with that while I'm in, in, in England. Um, Revelation has got the scroll with the seals. Those are coming. The dragon is here. You're going to have the, the seven trumpets will blow. You'll have seven bowls of wrath. You'll have all of these different numbers appearing. And whenever the numbers are there, we need to look at the numbers to see if the numbers have any significance as a symbolic number. Because numbers for them were symbolic just as much, oftentimes even more so, than they were uh, um, literal in the sense of our literal sense. And so as we try to unlock it, the keys for unlocking it, as Pastor Trammell talked about this morning, we need to not only recognize the literature type, this is apocalyptic literature, it was a specific kind of writing. And it, it had been going around for hundreds of years before, and it continues for over a hundred years after John writes the Apocalypse. A very typical kind of writing. I'm talking fast. If you're not following this, don't worry. It's re we're refreshing from last week. I'm sorry I'm talking fast. I'm all excited about Hull. <laughs> it's also a very symbolic book. And the symbolism is richly drawn from the pages of the Old Testament. We had some of the top Hebrew and Greek scholars, scholars in both, at the library for an event, uh, I think it was two weeks ago now. And two weeks ago, one of the questions I asked of the panel of international experts, I said, which of the New Testament books, which are all written in Greek, which of them has the most Hebrew type language? In other words, the Greek is, is not really smooth Greek. It's a bit stilted. It's very much more filled with Hebraisms, Hebrew type 
semantics and language and constructs that are pigeoned into Greek. And without exception, all of the experts said the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. And you'd find that general idea going back. I'm able to trace it back at least as far as Eusebius, who was a church historian who lived in the 300s, whose primary language was Greek. And Eusebius talked about the barbaric Hebrew-Greek of the book of Revelation. Because it's so deeply ingrained in the Old Testament, it even comes out in the, in the grammar and in the way it's written. So it's fascinating. And we're going to look at that and we're going to see if it helps us understand the book. So our readings that are contextual readings aren't simply the, something to consider aside, but they're truly picked to help us unlock some of the meaning of Revelation. Now, in that regard, we talked last week about the significance of numbers in the olden days. Back in the classical world and in the Asian world, if we call the Near East Asia, back in that day, numbers had much more of a symbolic sense than they did certainly today. So, we talked about three as a sacred number. I want to give you just a couple of these. We'll add to them as we go through the book of Revelation when we come across more numbers. But when you see three, think sacred. It's easy for Christians to remember because of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we can think of three as a sacred number. Four is the earthly number. You think of the four corners of the earth, the four directions, north, south, east, and west, the four winds, the four elements, air, water, fire, or earth, whatever they are. So you've got the four elements. Four is a very earthly number. If you take things that are sacred and spiritual, things that are earthly and physical, and you add them together, what do you get? Seven, which is, at that point, everything. It's a full number. And so seven is a very complete and full number. And when we're reading this literature, you need to understand whether you're reading Revelation or whether you're reading any host. And if you get in the mood, say, Mark, I'd like to read some of this apocalyptic literature that's outside the Bible. Where would you suggest I start? Email me. And I'll email you back some. They've got it in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which have all been, not all, but mostly translated. We've got them in, in all sorts of books and writings from back then. And you'll see how these numbers are being used consistently in all of the different writings in this way. So, if those are our numbers, let's throw the numbers up there. Let's keep track of them as we go through this. And let's start looking at, at Revelation 4 and 5. Now, i got to tell you, if you've got the lesson, the lesson's going to read goofy in terms of what you're reading through for the year versus what we're studying in here. So the reading through the year is correct to get you to read through the whole Bible in the year. But we've jumped the, the Sunday school, the life group lesson forward a couple of weeks because if not... The best part of Revelation is the end. 
And we don't have life group the last two Sundays of the year. And I don't want to not get to teach that part. That's where we win. And I don't like to stop when I'm behind in the third quarter. I want to get to the end of the game and then win. Right, coach? You play four quarters. Okay. So here we are. The church that that were, well, take a step back. Revelation chapter 1, John has a vision while he's on the island of Patmos, a voice like a trumpet. He sees Jesus walking amidst the lampstands that represents the church. We went through that last time. And then chapters 2 and 3 are letters to seven very real churches. So seven there is a literal number, but it's also a symbolic number. What does seven mean? Fullness. So, it's to seven literal churches. John's on Patmos, where the arrow is, but it's to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And that, if you're the mailman, that's the exact order in which you'd go do those churches in a horseshoe, following the Roman roads. So, it's to those seven churches specifically, but as seven churches, it's to the entire church. It's to us today. It was to us last year. And if God tarries, it'll be to us tomorrow. It's to the church here. It's to the church in Europe. It's to the church in Hull, England, to the church in Africa, to South America, to the Far East. It's to the complete, the universal church spanning throughout time as well as geography. And that's that significance. Now we get to chapter 4. If you heard Pastor Stephen, he went through it rather rapidly as best uh, 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 as his time allowed. We're going to go back through it. Uh, there, there are a couple of places where he's given me some liberty and said some to say. <laughs> yeah, that would be me on some of that. Uh, uh, he, uh, uh, he is such a... I'll tell you what, our pastoral staff is just... Phenomenal. All right, we're going to experiment here. I just, at the risk of making this fit, we're going upside down. So this, I truly, I'm, this is upside down. So I'm not sure I can pull this off. We're going to see. Can anybody read upside down? Okay, hold on, hold on. Automatic focus. I keep looking for a Bible that's going to fit this projector. Okay, well, this is going to be interesting. I've lost my highlighter. Okay. Y'all ready? Here we go. Nothing up my sleeve. (laughs) Which voice first thee and heaven in opening? (laughs) Okay. Um, After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now, if we go back to the PowerPoint for a moment, we're going to go back and forth if my control folks uh, uh, are tuned in here extra tight. Um, ignore the fact that I have lightning up there. That should not be there, but it'll come off in a moment, I hope. There he is. He's caught up in the heavens, John is, 
and he sees a throne. Now, what I've used for the throne chair there is a Roman throne chair from the time of John. So, at least if the people are thinking in terms of their own language that day, and the Greek word for throne is really hard to remember, it's throne. (laughs) With a Greek ending, so it's thronos, okay? But there he is, he sees the throne. Now, we go back to the uh, uh, Bible, please. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Now, if we go back to the PowerPoint for a moment. So we've got a rainbow around the throne. It's got the appearance of an emerald, but we're sliding ourselves if we don't pause and notice first it is a rainbow. Stephen pointed out what our contextual reading had from Genesis 9. God said that the rainbow would be, uh, okay, now, you know the story. God says the rainbow will be taken as a sign, as a symbol, as a covenant. By the way, the Hebrew there doesn't read like um, uh, God magically places a rainbow in the sky. We should not think that the writer of Genesis is thinking that God's magically thinking after every rain. Huh. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to make the rain stop. Let me send a rainbow. That, that That's a primitive mindset that's not fair to assign to the writer of Genesis or to God. What it is in the Hebrew sense is it's something for us to see. And know that just as God has made this world where rainbows can serve, the water droplets can serve as prisms that can reflect a spectrum of light. That that fact is something all of us can use as a memory that God will not bring destruction upon this world in the same way. Again. So we've got a couple of things here we want to consider. First of all, according to Newton and others, how many colors in a rainbow? Seven. It's another one of those areas where where the old world recognized sevens seem complete. Seven colors to a rainbow. So we've got the rainbow there, and that rainbow is not just the seven colors, but around the very throne of God is a very deliberate recognition of the covenant he has made with mankind. And that covenant's being mentioned there. So if we go back to the text, verse 4, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. We go back to the PowerPoint. So around the throne now, we've got 24 smaller thrones. Now, 24. 24. What kind of a number could 24 be? 24 doesn't really have four sixes. 24 doesn't have that much significance itself. But there is a very significant number called 12. 
If 3 plus 4 equals 7, a full number, what is 3 times 4? 12, also a full number. And so we've got this 12 with 12 elders sitting around the throne. And so with this, I mean, sorry, 12. We've got the 12, but it's a 24. It's two of them. That's why a lot of scholars, um, including some lawyers who teach class, believe this is a good explanation that John is here talking about the 12 elders of Israel or the 12 tribes of Israel, the old covenant, and the 12 apostles are the, the who represent, in essence, the new covenant, the new church, the, the, the church. And so you've got both old and new covenant represented, clothed in white, which Isaiah pointed out for the old covenant, and John points out for the new covenant, is the clothing of the saints called of God. God washes our clothing and makes it white, by the blood of the Lamb. So you've got surrounding the throne 24 elders seated on 24 thrones. They're clothed in white. They have golden crowns on their head. Now if we go back to the PowerPoint, uh, you're already ahead of me. I mean, to not to the PowerPoint, to the Elmo. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. And before the throne, I have to turn this around. And yes, that's the way I've been reading. Welcome to my world. Hit this button. There we go. All right. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, as it were, a sea of glass-like crystal. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. Now, we want to look at this carefully, because we're going to understand this by the Old Testament references. So watch it carefully. On each side are four living creatures full of eyes, in front and behind, the first creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third the face of a man, and the fourth like an eagle in flight. All four with six wings, full of eyes, with around and within. Day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, we'll flip over and see it, but before we do, we got to get the threes there. That's a three by three. So you've got a one and a two and a three in this. In the Greek, it just reads, um, uh, and, and I said it was barbaric Greek of sorts. What I mean is the layout of the Greek language. It doesn't make for good Greek grammar, but it's gorgeous to read because it says, holy, holy. Holy. So you've got a triplet. The number three, remember the significance, spiritual, complete. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God, 
Almighty. A three, three, three. The one who was, is, and is to come. Which is... And so you've got a triplet, a triplet. You've got perfect adoration and spiritual praise in a sense. Just redundant praise. It's, it's spiritual fullness. It's spiritual praise. In this say, holy, holy, holy. That's one of the triplets. Is the Lord God Almighty, the second triplet, who was and is and is to come, the third triplet. Now, if we want to look at this in the Old Testament and get the context, Ezekiel is the place we want to start. We go to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1 even starts out with the same type of language. Ezekiel says, In the thirtieth year, the fourth month, the fifth day, I was among the exiles. The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. That's the same way John begins Revelation, except he's on the island of Patmos. The heavens are opened, and he sees vision. And look what he says. I looked. A stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud with brightness around it, fire flashing forth continually. John will describe that in a minute. We just haven't read it yet. In the midst of the fire, as if it were gleaming metal, from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. This was their appearance. A human likeness, but each had four faces. Their legs were straight, the soles of their feet like a calf's foot. They sparkled. Under their wings they had human hands. Their four, they, the four had their faces in their wings like this, their wings touched. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. Let's see if we can make this work. A human face, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left, and the fourth had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Then he talks about their wings, how they went about, what they were doing. If you get to Ezekiel chapter 10, he tells you they're angels. They're cherubs. You know the plural for cherub? Cherubim, that's right. You add I-M to a Hebrew word in the masculine to get a plural. All right, then I looked. And behold, on the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim appeared something like a sapphire under a throne. He talks about the cherubim standing on the south side of the house. He goes in and is told to do all of these things. And behold, there were four wheels beside the cherubim, one beside each cherub. And the appearance of the wheels was like a sparkling barrel and as for their appearance, the four had the same likeness. It talks about the wings. I mean, the, the wheels. Everyone had four faces. This was the face of the cherub. A human face. A lion. The face of an eagle. So it's missing the ox. Instead, it's got a cherub. But these are the same creatures that were talked about. I, the living creatures that I saw underneath. Whoops. Underneath. The God of Israel by the Chebar Canal, and I knew they were cherubim. Each had four faces. 
So this whole concept that John writes about is a concept that people will know. They will associate the four creatures with the four cherub that are cherubim that are spoken of. Each one is singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This again is the description we have from Isaiah and the song we have from Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah has his heavenly vision. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim with six wings. Two covered his face, two covered his feet. One calls to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. The house was filled with smoke. I said, woe is me, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having a, in his hand a burning coal he'd taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Now, I want to do two things here. I want us to understand that if we're trying to read the scene that John has and find its exact presence in the scene Isaiah saw and the exact presence in the scene Ezekiel saw, we will be disappointed because there are differences in what we see. That's not because, oh, heaven changed. These are people who are giving descriptions that communicate in symbolic language to the people who are receiving their words. We've got to understand the gist of the symbolism and not try to expect it to be the same in Isaiah's time as Ezekiel's time, as John's time, as our time today. But the message is clearly the same. God sits enthroned and the angels are about him and the angels are proclaiming in the most holy and worthy and spiritual language they can the greatness of God and they never cease to do it. And the angels do it. In Revelation, we see the significance of the symbolism. One of them like an eagle. One of them like a, a, a human. Well, we start with a human. Four living creatures. Full of eyes. The first one like a lion. Now, it's been so interesting to go through the history of church interpretation. Because you can find all sorts of different things. For example, in the Middle Ages, the Middle Age scholars thought that these were symbolic of intelligent worship. The reason they thought that is because uh, 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 the lion, for example, um, is exalted. He's the, the, the greatest of all of the creatures, in the Serengeti at least. The second living creature, an ox. An ox was the greatest, the most noble, the most useful of all of the, 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 the cattle. Um, the, the face of a man. Uh, you know, man is, is supposedly the pinnacle of God's creation. And by man, that means non-gender man, guys. 
don't rub it into your wife's face. You know, technically, if God's everything he created got better and better and better, he did make woman last. So I'm just saying. So we got to be real careful there. And then the fourth one, like an eagle in flight, which is the most noble of the birds. So in the Middle Ages, the sages said this is a marvelous mental worship because it's worshiping the most exalted beings. And so this shows that even the most exalted among all beings worship the Lord. The most exalted being human, ox, eagle, lion. Eh, Maybe, maybe not. But I think what's more appropriate for John's day is that the lion is is, um, strong. He's the strongest. He is the alpha of the Serengeti. Uh, he, he, the, the lion rules the Serengeti. The ox is the most powerful in service. The ox pulls the plow. The ox turns the, the grindstones, massive, massive grindstones. The eagle flies highest, sees sharpest. And then man, of course, is known as the thinking among the creatures, the, the most thoughtful. And so you've got that representation. You take it however you want. The point of the matter is shown here, and let's get a little bit more before we go back to the PowerPoint, but the point of the matter gets added to whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne. By the way, in the Greek, you, you've got to read this sometime in the Greek. I've got to start bringing my Greek New Testament. Give glory, honor, and thanks. Threefold praise to him who's seated on the throne who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him on the throne, and I would suggest to you that is worship in a pre-Christ age as well as worship in a post-Christ age. The words Old and New Testament don't come into being for another year, 150 years or so. By a lawyer, I might add. Um, but but what we've got is still this concept, as Paul writes about it, about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And it was very much a thought in the church's mind. The New Covenant was considered the last days. So the 24 elders fall down. They worship Him. The word for worship there is proskuneo in the Greek. It means literally to take your face and to press it to the ground in front. They fall flat before the Lord, prostrate before the Lord. Prostrate. Straight, excuse me. I'm a male in my mid-fifties. Prostrate before the Lord. Worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. One. Two, three. Thank you. For you created all things. By your will they existed and were created. One, two, and three. These threes just happen in all of the praise and worship. It's up here too. I didn't show you this. Worthy are you could be implied, but John puts it in there. So it's by itself. Lord of ours, and God of ours, whoops, one, two, three. So you've got another triplet of praise, this time from the, the elders. And they're all praising God. Now, if we go back to the PowerPoint, look at what we've got here. 
You've got God surrounded by the angels, surrounded, we need to add, the lightning that issues forth, the rumbling that issues forth, the thunder that issues forth. And then in addition to that, you've got seven torches, which are the seven spirits we're going to read about. You're going to have a crystal sea that we're going to read about. I want you to, whoops, no, don't go there yet. You can't leave. I want you to get, get the picture here. In the center of everything, above all of creation and all of the world or earth, in the center is God. See, he's surrounded by all of these things. It, they, they, they surround him because John draws a picture where in the center of everything, in control over all, is the most holy and worthy being there is. You've got to have that picture in front of you and understand that's what he's seeing when we get to the next chapter and we start looking at the scroll. Because the scroll is God's plan. It's history, past and future. The scroll is is God's full redemption for humanity. It's the story. It's, it's what happens. It's the explanation. Do you know why they only wrote on one side of scrolls, by the way? Scrolls were generally made, originally, a lot of them, from papyrus. And papyrus, now, really good scrolls. This probably was a good scroll. It would have been written on parchment, on, 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 uh, on animal skins. But, but they would take it, and the grain was such that made it really hard to write on both sides. So this is, as Pastor Stephen mentioned this morning, very significant that it's written on both sides. It's telling us this is the fullness of God's plan. This is the whole thing. So now if we go back to the Scripture and look at chapter 5, John sees... If I get the, There we go. Thank you. John sees in the right hand of him who's seated on the throne, Father God Almighty... In his right hand, the hand of power, that signifies power. In the hand of power, he has a scroll that's written on both sides and it's sealed with seven seals. Now there are three reasons, three major reasons you sealed something in that day. One reason you would seal is to show that you own it. It shows your authority. And Esther, the king, has a signet ring and he can seal. And, and, and it's yours. It shows this came from me. It's mine. A second reason is to authenticate it. To show that it's genuine. And a third reason is to protect it. Because intruders can't sneak a look without breaking the seal. And you couldn't replace the seal unless you had the signet ring. So this has been sealed. History is owned by God. History is validated. The plans, uh, the, the protection of the church, all of that is under God's care and custody. It's authenticated by God. And no one's allowed to open future without God's okay. And so here we have it. The scroll is in the right hand. Of him who's seated on the throne, written on both sides, sealed with seven seals. A strong angel says with a loud voice, Who 
is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. God holds the scroll. No one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And the way that Greek is written, it's written in as a four. That's a quartet. It's no one. Not anyone in heaven. Not anyone on earth. And not anyone who is under the earth is able to open it. What does four symbolize? The earth. The physical. The world. There is nothing in this world. There is nothing physical There is nothing that is worthy out of every person there's ever been, out of every element, out of every windstorm, out of every fire, out of every flood, out of anything in this earth, nothing is worthy to open the scroll that Almighty God holds in His hand. At which point, John starts crying loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. No one's found worthy to look into it. God's plans for His people. God's plan for our future. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, Lion of Judah. Genesis 49 is the prophetic word that Jacob puts over all of his children and he talks about Judah. It's a passage that everyone would have known as a good Jew, especially if they were of the tribe of Judah. Which the Jews, by definition, by and large, were. Jew comes from Judah. That's why you don't call them Jews when they are Israelites before the northern ones go off. The southern ones in the land of Judah, basically. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter, the ruling scepter shall not depart from Judah the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. To him shall be the obedience of the people. It goes on and on and on. So that's the image. You've got the Lion of Judah is a lamb. And the lamb standing as though he's been slain is the one who is worthy. So the lamb goes... And he takes the scroll. Look at this. This is, this is bold. If you have any doubts about the deity of Jesus, read this passage. 
every creature, every angel, every elder, Old Testament, New Testament, and we'll see the multitudes in a moment, all the rest of us commoners, everyone is bowing down in the presence of God Almighty, except the Lamb, who walks right up and reaches from God's right hand and takes the scroll. Because the Lamb is God. From the right hand of Him who seated on the throne. And when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Uh, that's not new. Go back and read Psalm 141. I put it in the lesson. It talks about our prayers rising before God as incense. They sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. You didn't miss that four, did you? You were slain. You've got the three for Jesus. You were slain. By your blood, you ransomed people for God. Oh, whoa, sorry, sorry here. Worthy because you were slain. By your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, nation. And I want to tell you, some of those words in the Greek are kind of redundant. You can't read them and think, well, what's the difference between a people and a nation? Or between a tribe and a people? The, the nuance difference is not what it's about. The point is, you got you, he wants four in there. This is all of the earth. This is this is a completeness of, of of earthliness in a sense. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Now here you've taken all of those two four, and you've turned them into three. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Care to guess without counting how many things He chose? Seven. Power. Wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. Full and perfect praise goes to the Lamb of God. Then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, all that's in them. That's the parenthetical, because you've got four groups here. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, and in the sea. All that's in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the creatures say amen, and the elders fall down and worship. 
its magnificent scene of worship. And the symbolism just makes it more majestic and more magnificent. And and oh, um, um, there's some neat little envelopes in there. You can read through the lesson. You know, Daniel 12, at the end of Daniel's visions, Daniel has these visions. Daniel's very apocalyptic. We'll keep coming back to Daniel. But Daniel's got a scroll with the future that God has, the plans, God's future plans. It's sealed up in Daniel 12. Daniel wants to know what's inside, but there's nobody worthy to open it, so he doesn't get to. Here it's opened, and we get to read it. And it reminds me of a couple of things. First of all, it reminds me of Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells the Philippians in verse 5 to have the same attitude in themselves that Jesus had. And then he starts writing about Jesus and he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, there we go, in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. This is the lamb who was slain. Death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. In the center of the cosmic reality. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. He doesn't add in the sea because he's not using John's number of four. He's using three. And every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is describing what will happen. The reality, when we escape from this time bubble in which we live, the reality that John is also seeing from a heavenly perspective. Psalm 1 or Psalm 99, in my opinion, is almost like the entire chapters we just read. It's just without being apocalyptic. It's being very non-symbolic. It's speaking in, in, in our language. You want to know what John saw? Read Psalm 99. It gives it to you. The Lord reigns. He sits in throne. The rainbows around him. The, the, the thrones around him. The glassy sea. Everything surrounds God. God's in the center. The Lord reigns. Let everybody tremble. Fall flat before him. Take the crown off your head. Throw it before him. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. The four creatures. Let the earth quake. The rumbling, the peals of lightning and thunder. The Lord is great in Zion. He's exalted over all the peoples, the multitudes, myriads upon myriads. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy, kadosh in the Hebrew. Holy, hagios in the Greek. Holy is he, the king 
In his might, he loves justice, established equity, and then executed justice, executed righteousness. Jesus Christ is God's execution of justice and righteousness. The lamb that was slain is God's execution of justice and righteousness. Exalt the Lord our God, worship at His footstool, holy is He. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them in the pillar of clouds. They kept his testimonies. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. He's a just God. He's a righteous God. He can't disregard sin. Even if it comes from Moses, Aaron, Samuel, the greatest of the greats. The 24 elders with their crowns still have to take off their crowns and say, worthy are you. Because the best of the best of the best aren't good enough to even remotely want to wear a crown. If you are really excited about the jewels you're earning for your heavenly crown, I want your excitement to be that you get to take all of those jewels in that crown off and throw it before the only one who is worthy to have a crown in heaven. Because the best thing any of us have done, in the words of Isaiah, is a filthy, polluted rag compared to the righteousness of Almighty God. And everyone in heaven praises Him. That's why. I mean, there's nobody... uh, uh, People who say, well, I'm not good enough for God. Well, duh. (laughs) Welcome to the world of truth. Yeah, but I'm really not good enough for God. Duh. Points for home. Key takeaways. I'm going to praise the Lord, my God. I'm going to lift him up and praise him. I don't care what life throws. I don't care how weak I am at the moment. I don't care how happy I am. I don't care how balanced I am. I was talking to a group. Oh, I'm out of time. I was talking to a group uh, last night or the night before. I don't remember when. But uh, there was a, 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 an event. I saw some of you all there where I was speaking. I told everybody, I said, it was for counseling, uh, this place called Liberty Path that does this counseling service. And I said, um, uh, you know, I come from a fully functional family. I have a real mom and a real dad who loved me and and my siblings, and they took good care of us and brought us up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I've got absolutely no excuses for all of my goof-ups in terms of looking backwards at them. i got to own them all. But whether I own them all or whether I've inherited them, whether life's dealt me a great deal or a raw deal, I just want to praise God. Because I know in the end it's all fixed by Him. And that's the thing. I can live without fear of the world. I gave you another scripture. We just don't have time for it. But it's Psalm 11. And I mean, you, you read Psalm 11 with this reading and it's just kind of like, it's, it's, it's one of those duh psalms. 
In the Lord I take refuge. So how can you say to me, you better run, things are getting scary. The Lord's in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. He sees everything that's going on. He's righteous. And the upright, made righteous by the blood of the Lamb, will see His face. Why should I fear? I got nothing to fear. I worship the guy, the the guy, (laughs) sorry, Lord. I worship the Lord God Almighty. It's all about Him. There is nothing not under His control. Nothing. I don't care if it's, if if you've lost a loved one, if you've lost a job, if you've lost security in the, the world, if you're struggling in a relationship, if you're struggling financially, if you're struggling emotionally, if you can't find stability without medicational help. Doesn't matter what you're going through, there is a God who is over it all, who is there to take care of you, even though things are broken here. Some people need medication. Thank God for making it where medication works. Let's pray you get the right kind. And then I want to live a life of prayer. I want to know Him. And I, I, I want I want to know Him better. I want to relate to Him closer. I want to be more faithful to you in prayer. I want to be more faithful to my family in prayer. And I just want the intimacy of being with my father more. I miss my earthly father. He's been dead over 10 years now. Not a day goes by I don't miss him. But my heavenly father, Lord, please don't let a day go by that I don't crave that time with you. Let me pray a prayer of blessing. I'm sorry I went over today. I'm really sorry. Lord, would you please bless my friends? I pray you'll bless them with a greater vision of who you are because of the way it transforms how we live when we draw strength from your presence in worshiping and ascribing to you the value that is rightly due your name. We humbly and spiritually fall flat before you, proclaiming you worthy of glory and honor and power. But we also just are giddy over being your children. We love you very much when we pray through the slain lamb, Jesus Christ, our righteousness. Amen.